Good morning, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay, and I am the host for the uh, presentation this morning. Today is Sunday, March 26, 2023. Let me give you the share ID numbers for Friday, March 24th, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. That number is 20,084. That's 20084. For the 10 a.m. meeting on Friday, 20,085. That's 20085. This morning, A Vision for You presents Not an Overnight Matter, A Lifetime of Surrender. So our speaker this morning is going to share about the concept of, of working the uh, spiritual program for a lifetime. Um, and, and we do it imperfectly, right? And, and even though the food is down, self-will and defects will crop up, and that's all part of the growing and surrendering process and recovery. So, you know, the, the, uh, the, the big book uh, gives us uh, clear-cut directions, right, to enable us to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So it wasn't hopeless at all. It, it just appeared that way. It was seemingly hopeless. And, and, and what is, so we're given a blueprint um, for the implementation of these steps. That's what's going to give us uh, liberation, give us freedom. And, and we read it before every meeting. We read the steps, and on page 59 it says, you know, here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. And, um, and so when we implement these steps, we begin to cultivate a, a skill set, a spiritual skill set that moves us hopefully from a self-centered consciousness to a God-centered consciousness. And it's done imperfectly, right, because we're human. And, and when practiced on a daily basis, what, what we learn is that the barriers that got in the way that impeded us from establishing and maintaining a relationship with our creator are removed. And, and then the sunlight of the spirit can begin to flow in. Now, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, the difficult part of this is, you know, we hear things like progress, not perfection. But I'm impatient. I, I want perfection. I want I want the goods now, and I, I don't want to, I have this impatience, and I don't want to wait. And, um, and so it's difficult, and because it even says on page 60, many of us explain, what in order? I can't go through with it. And, and they tell us, don't be discouraged. We're going to lay out some steps that will allow you to, to, uh, to, to move towards this relationship with the higher power of your own understanding. And, you know, when I think about it, Bill, Bill Wilson was no saint, right? He, he was just like us. I mean, he, he battled lots of things. He battled with depression. He had financial difficulties, even after having had a spiritual awakening, right, where he was given release from, from his addiction to alcohol. He had relationship challenges. I think about uh, a woman that we, we've heard of, been around, right, Roseanne S., our OA founder. And uh, she, she did wonderful things, but she, she had challenges in life, too. And so we, we all do this. It's, it's, uh, it is a, a journey, right? And the bottom line is that none of us are perfect. We're fallible human beings. And the, things, the thing that's really hard but yet really amazing is, is giving up on being perfect and beginning the work of becoming yourself, the, the, the person that your higher power intended you to be. And, and, and for me, trying to be everything to everyone is, is it, it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. So what the program teaches us is accepting 
our human imperfections. It's not about, you know, beating ourselves down. It's about acknowledging the, the human frailty that lies, you know, within our, within the inherent paradox, right, of, of God giving us the ability to do some things, but also accepting our imperfections. And so, you know, what, what, uh, what we recognize is that this program will give us liberation, but we, you know, we, we, we move from this self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. And, and from there, I think what it is is the journey for me has been one of, uh, of learning more about myself, accepting more about myself, and having compassion for others. We cannot give away what we don't have, right? So the steps are just implemented on a, on a, on a daily basis. And when we do that, we uh, begin to form this relationship with our higher power. So joining us this morning is uh, to share her experience, strength, and hope in finding a power greater than herself is Rachel P. from Pennsylvania. And Rachel is dedicate, a dedicated member of OA, and she's devoted to the practice and teaching of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. So please join me in welcoming Rachel P. to the line this morning. Good morning, Rachel. And Rachel, go ahead, go Good ahead morning. and press star one if you would. There you are. Good morning. Good morning. Can I be heard? Hi. I'm Rachel P. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm in Pennsylvania. And thank you so much, Larry. Um, you wonderfully described the message that I'm trying to get across here. Um, so I'm glad that you're picking up what I'm putting down. And um, yeah, um, I am really grateful for this opportunity to be of service. And, um, you know, essentially the my message here is, um, you know, as Larry wonderfully talked about, is that it's okay to fail. It's okay to suffer and struggle in recovery. Um, you know, something that's really important for me is to take perfection out of this, take perfection out of this process of recovery and have compassion for myself and others. Um, I wanna be clear that I'm not talking about the food um, and I'll talk more about what I mean by that later. Um, but essentially, you know, I, I just wanna communicate this message that um, it's okay to stumble and struggle and suffer in our defect. I'll talk about myself in my defects. Um, I, you know, I used to um, compare myself to other people, right? This, the, the, the kind of saying that, that I've heard in the rooms that we compare our insides to other people's outsides. I used to pedestalize people um, in this program and otherwise. And um, I had, you know, I kind of believed this, this myth that, you know, once I got recovered, that I would be this wonderful, zen, enlightened, you know, God-centered, God-connected being that wouldn't attach to my problems, that wouldn't um, suffer as a result of, you know, life, life events. Um, and I've learned in, in just the past handful of years that I've been recovered that that's not the case. Um, I am going to suffer. I am going to struggle. I am going to, my defects are going to come out and that's okay. That's all part of it. Um, and, and I'm glad, Larry, that you, you brought up that, that phrase on page 60 of the big book, right? We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. You know, I hear this phrase, we claim um, progress, not perfection in the rooms a lot. And 
And, it, and that's not referring to the food, that's referring to this spiritual journey. Um, and there's a, there's a quote in, actually in For Today, um, the Daily Reader, the OA Daily Reader, that just wonderfully encapsulates this message that, I, that I'm talking about. Um, it reads, I'm not, and this is from August 6th, page 219. It reads, I'm not entirely free of the pride and arrogance that shut out growth. The process of recovery seems to involve alternately giving up my will and taking it back. This creates periodic setbacks, but each time it happens, I learn something. So alternately giving up my will and taking it back, you know, coming back to God over and over and over again when I stumble and when I suffer. For me, that's, that's my experience of recovery. Um, and I, I want to um, qualify a little bit and just, just kind of share a little bit about my story and where I came from, um, and then and then circle back to you know supporting this this message a bit more. Um, I'm not going to you know share my full story because I I did so in it was like sometime in December of 2021. So for those who may want to go back and listen to my story, um, I encourage you to do so. But just to kind of give some highlights, just to qualify. Um, I, you know, this disease started at a very young age for me. Um, I don't have many memories of my, my early childhood, but those that I do mostly have to do with food. And um, I had leukemia when I was a kiddo. I was diagnosed when I was two years old with um, ALO. And I, uh, I was treated with the experimental chemotherapy and, and you know, the side effects were so bad that my parents decided to take me off and they thought that I was going to die. But I actually went, ended up going into remission. And, you know, I don't remember much from those years, um, but I do remember, you know, eating cookies at the oncology office and just having like an obsession around those, you know, at three, four years old, just obsessed. And so I think this disease was, you know, switched on at a very early age for me. Um, years later, when I was seven years old, my two-year-old sister at the time was diagnosed with leukemia as well. And while I don't remember anything from my treatments, I remember all of her treatments, you know, countless visits to the oncology office and, you know, the treats and the snacks and everything. Was, that, that's one of my biggest takeaways from that time. Um, so I, I learned to anesthetize with food at a very young age, and I started gaining weight when I was about seven or so, and um, I started to internalize this sense of shame when I started to gain weight. Um, you know, I got these messages from, from people around me, and especially, you know, my mom, my grandma, that I, I shouldn't be this size, that I need to lose weight, I need to eat less, I need to exercise more. Um, I'm never going to be happy if I'm in a larger body. And, you know, my mom wanted so badly for me to just be happy. I really believe that. Um, and she didn't have this problem. And she didn't understand what was going on for me. My dad does. My dad does have this disease um, currently untreated. Um, and so over the years, I... I I stuck food, I binged, I was obsessed with food. I mean, Halloween every year was like this 
such an event, right? Um, just the obsession around around the candy, and you know, my brother and my sister, who are both younger than me, didn't don't have this problem. They they've never had a weight issue or or struggled with with compulsive eating, you know, and and they would be able to eat the candy that they gathered over weeks and months. And for me, it was gone in a matter of days. Um, and I started hiding and sneaking and everything. And I just kept gaining and gaining. And, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a household where, you know, we went to church every Sunday. We went to youth group every Wednesday. Um, it was a huge part of our lives. But I, I now know I had religion, but I didn't have spirituality. I did not have a personal relationship with something greater than me. Um, it just didn't click for me. And I started to kind of question that around like age 12 or so, you know. Um, I told my mom, you know, when I'm praying, I don't feel like I'm praying to anything or anyone. She really didn't understand that because she did have faith. Um, when my parents, my parents divorced when I was 13. And then when I was 14, um, you know, my mom, who, you know, we, we found out around that time, soon before this time, that who had bipolar disorder, she died by suicide. And um, I found her. I, you know, she and I were alone in the house and I found her. And, you know, food was already my anesthetizer. But after that, you know, I just, it was off to the races even more so. Um, I would not let myself think of of the event of when I found her, um, you know, and at the same time, my dad uh, was actively using a substance. Uh, he was in an addiction and he was very verbally and emotionally abusive. So, you know, he would, he would yell, I would eat. Um, and I hated myself. I hated myself and I had no higher power um, because at that point, you know, after my mom died, I became an atheist because the thinking was, if this could happen, then, you know, if, if my, my mom could die in this way, if, if my body looks like this, then I, I, I want, the thing I want most in this world is to lose weight, um, is to be thin, you know, to be normal, quote unquote normal but it's not happening for me. Therefore, there is no God. And even if there is a God, well, screw you. I don't want anything to do with you. So um, I kept eating and I kept gaining and I kept gaining um, such that by the time I graduated from high school, I was, um, I weighed in at about 275 pounds. And, um, you know, my prom dress was like a size 22 or 24 or something like that. And just for context, you know, I'm now a size uh, six. Um, and, you know, at that point, my disease was pretty much just binge eating. When I went to, you know, when I weighed in at 275 the summer before I went to college, I was mortified because I hadn't weighed in in a long time. And I got to college and I started exercising and I started over-exercising, and I started restricting, and I was still binge eating every night or every other night. Um, but at that point, the comp compensatory measures started to kick in and become part of this disease for me. So, you know, I did have some success. I started losing weight, and I started getting compliments on that weight loss, and it became an obsession. And, you know, in, in the first couple years of college, I lost 70 pounds. 
And then in my last semester of college, I gained 50 of that back. You know, people say that high school and college are supposed to be like the best years of your life, but I was so in the food, I was so in the disease, I was so unhappy, and I, I all the while I just hated myself. I had these fantasies, you know, that I would, I would lose the weight, I would get the perfect body, I would, I would, then I would meet the guy, and I would have the perfect relationship, and, um, you know, if those externals didn't happen, then I wasn't okay. It was this conditional sense of well-being, of happiness. So therefore, I was never happy because, you know, the things that I wanted to happen were not happening for me. I tried. I, I tried using my willpower, and it just wasn't working. Um, after I graduated college, I, I actually Googled, you know, can't stop binge eating. And OA came up. And I had heard of AA because my dad had um, had, had some success in that program. Um, and I did not want to go. I did not want to go. I was like, OA is not an attractive name. Okay, let's be honest here. Um, but I went because I was kind of desperate. Um, I was desperate. And I, I remember going to this meeting. There were two other women there. And I heard them read the steps. And I couldn't really even speak because all, all that came out was tears because I just carried so much shame. And I heard them say the word God. And I was like, no, this is not for me. Um, so I went back out for six more years and tried to fix this problem. And it did not work. Um, so six more years, you know, I did, <clears throat> I did have some quote unquote success, you know, and I, I lost weight. I lost and I gained and I lost and I gained. I mean, I think many of you are familiar with that whole thing. Um, you know, the measures of self-control and this is all, this is all part of my step one experience. And, you know, by the time I was 28, I did end up losing a hundred pounds from my heaviest weight. Um, but it, I was just up and down and up and down in this, in this, you know, span of like 20 pounds or so, depending on how heavily I was binging and how much I, I was quote unquote controlling the disease. And my life was just, my life just revolved around food, like what I was going to eat, what I wasn't going to eat, how long I could restrict, um, how I was working off the calories that I had eaten. Um, it just took over everything. So even though my, you know, my body had released most of, of, of my weight, my, um, my mind was crazy. I was obsessed. And, um, you know, at 28 years old, so about five years ago, I went to see a counselor and I, I wrote on my intake paperwork that I wanted to talk about my binge eating, which was huge for me because especially now that I had lost much of the weight, all my friends thought that I was this like really disciplined kind of person who, you know, knew how to lose weight, ate really healthy. They didn't know that I was binging in secret like about every night. And the binges looked different than they used to. I was I was binging on more like more organic foods, healthier foods, but I was still now I understand I was triggering the allergy every day, every couple of hours. Um so I went to see this counselor and she told me to go to OA. And at that point I knew, yep, this is it. This is what I need to do. Um, so 
and and my mind had kind of opened up in the past several months prior to that to some kind of spiritual solution. Um, I had started going to a different 12-step program, and um, I was I had more so shifted from a place of atheism to agnosticism, where my my state of mind at the time was, you know, there probably isn't a God. Um, but who am I to say, you know, so there was a little bit of humility in there for me that, you know, I don't have the answers necessarily. Um, so I did have somewhat of a more open mind. And, and so thankfully I was in that place and I was willing and ready to go to a meeting. So I went to my, my second ever OE meeting on May 2nd of 2018. And I heard somebody tell their story and it, it was, and I heard my story and her story. And I knew without a doubt that I was, I was in the right place. And, you know, my, my therapist, mental health professional had given me a food plan prior to that, which I had started using. And so the night before that meeting, May 1st of 2018, that was the last time I binged. So God willing, it'll be, you know, five years since my last binge and, um, in just over a month. And, um, You know, I, I, I just wanted so desperately to hold on to, to the weight loss. And, and that's why I really came into the rooms because, um, you know, I, I didn't want, I was terrified of gaining more weight. I wanted to lose a bit more weight, which I have now, but that doesn't matter. And I'll tell you more. I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, and I wanted to stop binging. You know, I genuinely thought like this is this problem that I had of binging was, it was my personal problem that I was the only one who had this problem. I thought it was a matter of willpower and that I was the only one. And I thought I was doomed. I thought I was doomed to, to binge, you know, this, this binge restrict guilt, shame, demoralization cycle. Um, I really thought that I would never, I would never be able to stop. Um, so I came into the rooms because I, I wanted to stop. I needed to stop and I was out of ideas. I had no more solutions. So, um, you know, I really hit the ground running at that point almost five years ago and I got a sponsor. Um, I waited, I, I think I waited a few months before I asked someone to be my sponsor because my perfectionist needed the perfect sponsor, um, needed the right one. And, you know, thankfully I did find a sponsor who had gotten recovered through the big book. And so she sat down with me and we pulled out the table of contents of the big book and she outlined, you know, which chapter correlates with which step and, and we started our work. And, um, you know, then I, I worked the steps and I had a spiritual awakening and um, I started sponsoring later that year. Um, but I was very much like, and I still get caught up in this sense of perfectionism. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I, I compare myself to other people. And I, I really thought, you know, I have to do this and this and this and this and this perfectly or else or else I'm not doing this okay. Um, you know, and I want to circle back to, I'm not talking about abstinence here. Um, you know, what I've learned is that abstinence is the ticket into the door. If I'm not abstinent, I'm drunk on the food. 
And therefore, I don't get to kind of grapple with my defects as they come up and work through them and come back to God over and over again because I'm anesthetizing the food. So I'm not talking about the food here. You know, um, the big book, pages 82 and 83, says, sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly, he must keep sober. Dot, dot, dot. There is a long period of reconstruction ahead. So this is talking about step nine here. Um, you know, later says the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. So it's not, this is what this is saying is, you know, we have to be sober. We must, right? When it says must in the big book, that's important, right? I must be sober. If I'm not sober, if I'm in the food, if I'm eating my alcoholic ingredients, I don't even have the opportunity to grapple with the challenges of life that arise, you know, with a clarity of mind. Um, so, so abstinence is really, you know, my ticket into the door to be able to live life on life ter terms and stumble through, you know, whatever comes up without being anesthetized. Um, so, I, yeah, I just wanted to be clear on that. I'm not talking about the food. I'm not talking about abstinence here. Like abstinence is, is a must and it's necessary. And, you know, if I'm working the steps it's, and I'm in the food, it's not going to be effective. So, yeah, what I'm talking he about here is, is specifically, you know, character defects, you know, self versus God, right, which, which maybe we can understand as, as two opposing forces, right? There's, there's my ideas, my, my defects, if you will, um, my, my flaws, um, you know, my, my broken self that tries to run the show. And then there's God, right? Then there's the opposite side of, of that is, is turning to God. Um, and so why, why do I, why do I go into self? You know, why, why are we even like this? Um, and I want to talk about, you know, this question of, of why do I rely on self um, from the, the perspective of our basic human instincts? Because this is really interesting to me. And, and I, I've been studying the steps recently with a, a fellow. Um, we've been listening to the Joe and Charlie tapes, and you know I've I've learned about these three basic human instincts that we have, um, as as Joe and Charlie describe, and, and is uh, is supported in the big book, you know, in the in the piece about step four, um, specifically the third column in step four, and um, you know, these three basic human instincts that I've learned that we have are, you know, one is belonging, the desire to be liked, to be respected for companionship, um, in some sense, a desire for prestige or leadership um, for some people. Um, and really that this, this basic instinct correlates with these, um, you know, third column aspects of you know self-esteem personal relations relationships pride and ambition and then my second basic human instinct is security the desire for security and that essentially is you know what i've come to understand is is that you know we ha i have this need for security the basic human drive for security for stability um yet because of the the essence of the human experience, it's never gonna be enough because 
there really is no permanency in life. You know, I have this, you know, as Joe and Charlie described, this insatiable desire for more and more. You know, once I get this thing that I want, that is, that represents security, then I want the next thing, right? And then once I get that, then I want the next thing, right? So, so it's never satisfied. And then my third instinct is the sex instinct, right? Which similarly to the security piece is, is often, it's not always fleeting, right? I, I want this kind of pleasure, the satisfaction, um, and and then once I get that, then it's then immediately my mind goes to the next, next and the next and the next. So these these human instincts, while they come from, I think they come from a, 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 a they can come from a healthy place, right? They're there to help us survive. When I make these things my god, they become out of balance, right? I rely on self will so that these instincts will be met, so that I get satisfaction based on these instincts. And then, you know, my thoughts, my emotions, my behaviors become totally imbalanced and out of whack. So if these things are, are driving me, and, and God is nowhere to be found. And this was my life, where, you know, for, for the time that I was an atheist from age like 15 to you know, 28, I was an atheist in my mind because of my pride, my ego, these instincts. There was no higher power. It was just, it was me. Um, I was alone. I was so alone. And, and I, I, everything that I wanted in life, um, I had to go for it. I had to drive for it. And I was also in this deep place of self-pity and shame and pain. And, and so I also believed that I would never have these things. So it was just a really, really miserable place to be. Um, and so, you know, in learning about these, these three basic human instincts and how they're correlated with, you know, the, um, the injuries described in column three of, of, you know, on page 65, you know, helped me understand, like, these, these things are here for a reason. These are my basic human drives. They're part of me. They're built into me. And, you know, my, my mission in recovery, I believe, is to try to do my best to surrender these things, not fighting against myself and my basic human drives, but surrendering, right? So that's why, you know, I talk about, you know, a lifetime of surrender because it, it's a lifetime for me. It's, it's, I mean, it's only been not quite five years, but I, I believe it will be a lifetime, you know, in recovery of surrendering these these drives over and over and over again. <clears throat> um, and the AA 12 and 12 on step six, um, pages 64 and 65, it really beautifully talks about uh, the, these drives as well. Um, and this process of surrendering them. So I'll, re I'll read part of this. So page 64, having been granted a perfect release from alcoholism, why then shouldn't we be able to achieve by the same means a perfect release from every other difficulty or defect? Right, so in essence, I've become sober, right? So why is everything not perfect, right? And then it later 
goes on to say, it is nowhere evident, at least in this life, that our creator expects us to fully eliminate our instinctual drive. So far as we know, it is nowhere on the record that God has completely removed from any human being all his natural drives. Further along, if we ask, God will certainly forgive our dereliction, but in no case does he render us white as snow and keep us that way without our cooperation. That is something we are supposed to be willing to work toward ourselves. He asks only that we try as best we know how to make progress in the building of character. I really do. I love, I love these pages. Um, and I just read them recently for the first time. Um, <clears throat> you know, essentially this is saying, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. And that's okay. That's what it's, that's what this is supposed to be, right? I'm going to stumble. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to suffer in my defects. You know, sobriety is just the beginning. I need to be sober. I cannot be in the food because if, if I am, then I'm not, I'm not able to work through these things. I'm not able to surrender these things to higher power as they come up, right? But it's a continual process of surrendering these things, and I'm not expected to be perfect. Um, it's really important for me to bring compassion into this work. Um, so understanding, you know, I'm not bad. I'm not wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. Um, this is just what it's supposed to be, right? Really finding acceptance for my humanity, finding acceptance for for how how I show up, however imperfect. Um, Big Book, page 68, reads, perhaps there's a better way, we think so, for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying on God. And then later on, just to the extent that we do as we think, as we think he would have us, and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? And then a little bit later, at once we commence to outgrow fear. So, you know, we're, we're here, we're talking about step four, right? We've begun to contact a higher, we've, we've admitted we're powerless, that our lives are unmanageable in step one. We've begun to connect with a higher power in steps two and three. Step four is really where we're starting to do the work. Right, so I appreciate this kind of somewhat, um, I want to say tentative language here, right? For me, it really brings in compassion here. So some of, some of the, the words or phrases that really stuck out to me in, the, in this reading is that, you know, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us. This is really interesting to me. Um, as we think, right? It doesn't say just to the extent that we do as he would have us. It says just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us, right? So for me, what this is saying is, you know, my my um, thoughts, my motives, and my actions, right, are, they have a place here. Right. There is no scenario in which, you know, God is possessing my body and like guiding my day. Right. My 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 power to think. And then to behave as the result of my thoughts. Are part are all part of this. Right. It's necessary because I'm human. That's what it means to be human and to, to have to own this brain that that helps me to, to, to get by in this world. So. 
you know, what this means to me is that, you know, intuition, my, my intuition that comes from within is a huge part of this process. You know, I really believe that, that, you know, God is within me. God is within each of us. And it can be a really subtle connection sometimes, um, often for me. It takes a lot of practice and effort. It takes a lot of trial and error to connect with that, that wisdom that's inside of me um, so that I can, you know, think from this place of God-centeredness. But myself is still involved, you know. Um, and so when I, when, I, when I struggle, when I get caught up in, in negative thinking or my defects and I, you know, I say something that, that isn't in alignment with who God ha- would have me be or, you know, I, I, I think if I'm, I'm in a thought process that's not supportive to me or others and not of service to me or others or to God, um, that's okay. You know, it, that's okay that that's there. And my, my task is to, is to connect with God and to course correct. Um, you know, it also says we humbly rely on him, right? I recently learned in reading the, the 12 and 12, um, the AA 12 and 12 on page 44 in, you know, as it's talking about step four, um, it reads, we had started to get perspective on ourselves, which is another way of saying that we were gaining in humility. I really like that definition of humility, right? We get perspective on ourselves, right? The definition of humility in the dictionary is freedom from pride or arrogance, right? So it's, it's understanding self, understanding my defects, my ego, my pride, my arrogance, and, and, you know, course correcting, right? Coming to God, um, getting, you know, getting a clear perspective on myself, on my defects, on my patterns, and then, you know, correcting with God's help. You know, for, in this, in this, um, passage as well on page 68, it says, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? It doesn't say, does he match calamity with serenity? Does he enable us, right? We have the possibility to match calamity with serenity here, right? Enable means to make possible, right? So there, there's no guarantees here. It's, this is possible if we work for it, if we continue to do it, right? And then here it says that once we commence to outgrow fear. So this commence means to begin. Right, this is a beginning. It's not going to be perfect. Um, we're going to stumble. We're going to suffer. You know. Again, I'm only not quite five years in, but but I I'm I'm going to guess my best estimate that you know one year in, five years in, ten years in, twenty years in to recovery, we're you know it, it's still somewhat of a beginning. Right. And, um, and that's okay. Right. Every, every point at which my defects come up and I, and I, I find myself in fear, in resentment, in, in pain, right. Suffering. It's an opportunity to come to God. The mistake for me, the mistake is if I, if I am suffering, 
for example, if I'm ruminating on something that's causing me suffering that's happened in my life, and maybe I've spent a couple hours ruminating and it's causing me pain, right? I don't want to be self-critical. I don't want to be like, I should be healing. I should not be healing this way because I'm recovered, right? I shouldn't have problems. No, I think that's a mistake to think that way. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this moment of suffering. And I'm going to seek to come back to you. You know, we, I am going to fail and that's okay. Like really giving that, giving that permission to be here. You know, I'll share an example, um, a recent example. So I, I work as a, a substance use counselor. And so I, I deal with a lot of um, difficult personalities sometimes. And, you know, I have, I have one patient in particular who, um, he he was causing a lot of he was having a lot of fights with other patients, you know, verbal aggression and um, almost physical, um, you know. And then he kind of started to kind of pick at me and you know, kind of almost like a like a middle schooler would. Like he started to kind of say some things to kind of pick on me, and it was really causing me a lot of. Um, I was having a lot of resentment about it. I was I was kind of playing old like scenarios like conversations that had happened. This was just a few weeks ago. I came home from work. I was on the ride home from work at and at home as I was like preparing my dinner. And in the evening, I was playing back in my head these interactions I had had with him. And then I was playing forward in my head, you know, future conversations that would never happen, of course. Um, and then, you know, I, I realized like this is causing me a lot of suffering. You know, I'm letting him harm me because I'm playing these things out over and over again in my head. I indulged in that for like a matter of hours. I, I did. Um, and then I, I did a 10 step about it. And then I said the resentment prayer for him throughout the night. And I really like, as a result of doing that, I found this sense of like ease with it. It was still there, but it was more like 10% where it had been like a 90% before, you know? So just the, an example to show like this work really does work when we work it you know but I, I also just want to have compassion for myself like I sat in that for a couple hours and and rather than like criticize or critique myself for doing so I can be grateful for it right I can be grateful for that moment of suffering I can be grateful for that for that struggle because it's helping me to learn um I found this kind of interesting, um, you know, big book page 85, it reads, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So, you know, it says it is easy, right? I kind of interpret that to say, to understand like it's likely it's likely that I'm going to let up on the spiritual program of action. You know, I probably will. Right. But the key here is the course correct. Right. I used to think, you know, in the first several years of recovery up until recently, like if I rest on my laurels, like that's bad. I'm wrong. I'm doing this wrong. And I'm not as recovered as I should be. Right. I was shooting all over myself. Right. But I think in the, in the failure, in the struggle is the growth. Um, I found this 
you know, in, in the big book first edition, um, I hadn't read this before until just a few nights ago. Um, there is a story called an artist concept and, and this, you know, this writer just beautifully kind of encapsulates what I'm talking about. Um, you know, he wrote, I assume it's a he, he wrote, um, drinking as a vicious habit was washed completely out of my consciousness. I've never even been tempted to take a drink since. As a matter of fact, there are so many other things within myself that need correction that the drink habit looks silly in comparison. Please do not assume that all this is but an exposition of spiritual pride. A chart of my spiritual progress would look like a graph of a business that had been hit by everything but an earthquake, but there has been progress. It has cured me of a vicious habit. Where my life had been full of mental turmoil, there was now an ever-increasing depth of calmness. Where there was a hit or miss attitude towards living, there is now new direction and force. So I just really love that uh, visual that, that he wrote about, he, where he said, a chart of my spiritual progress would look like a graph of a business that has been hit by everything but an earthquake, right? I really think that these ups and these downs, right, these peaks and these valleys are all like part of this process. And it's all, it's all supposed to be here, you know, and, and there, there is no, there is not, not going to be a moment. I mean, if anybody who's like 40 years in, 50 years in wants to tell me otherwise, please do. But I don't think that there's a moment where I will have arrived. Right. Um, you know, Bill, and that reminds me that, you know, Bill W. wrote in Bill, in his story, you know, I had arrived and this was, this is before he, before he um before his disease really took over and and then he found a rune or he found um the solution um there is no arrival right the idea of arrival is is coming from a place itself there's no destination there's only the journey right which sounds cliche but i, I really believe that to be true um it's all in the journey suffering teaches me it's an opportunity. Um, you know, I'll share another example. Um, almost two years ago, um, I broke my ankle, and um, I was I was roller skating with my now fiance. Um, we had only been dating for what was it like a month at the time. Um, and I, I, I used to, I, I lived in Colorado up until about a year ago. I moved out here to Pennsylvania um, for, you know, for us to be together. And um, so I, I, I flew it from Colorado to Pennsylvania and I was visiting him and we were roller skating out at a park with a couple friends. And um, I did something really stupid. I went, I went down a hill way too fast and um, I tried to, you know, I got scared and, and I, I was kind of wobbling and I tried to, to come out on the side and I twisted my ankle and I kind of sat down on it. It was really nasty. Um, I had a, a double fracture um, a, and a spiral fracture of my, get the two confused, but my uh, tibia, I think. Um, so I had a double fracture and I had to go and have surgery um, at the hospital and, and I got a lot of metal put into my ankle. And so this was April almost two years ago. And, um, 
you know, when it happened, almost immediately I went into this place of self-pity, right? Like, this shouldn't have happened. Why did this happen? Why was I so stupid? Um, I can't believe I did this. Um, but shortly after, you know, I, I went into this place of, like, great, of acceptance. Um, of, you know, this is here. You know, this... Um, this happened, you know, I, I have, I have what I need to have it taken care of, you know, and, um, I really found myself like in the flow in this experience, you know, I, my fiance, you know, drove me to the hospital and I was sitting in the waiting room. Um, I had to wait, I had to sit and wait for like two hours before I, I was seen and just like, doing deep breathing and just like praying and praying. And I called some, some fellows, some people on my God squad. Um, and I, I try to be of service to other people. There was, a, I'm getting emotional as I um, describe this, but um, there was a man sitting next to me who um, was really, was really struggling. And um it was COVID, so his, you know, his his wife was not able to be with him, and, um, you know, he he just he had a lot of like negative thinking, um, you know, in what he was describing, and you know, I asked him like, do you have a belief system? Like, do you want to pray with me? And he said, no, I don't really believe in anything, but, you know, I used to study Buddhism, and so, um. I can't remember exactly what I said to him, but, but, you know, I asked him to like do some, some breathing with me and just encourage both of us, like be in acceptance of what is, you know, and I could tell, you know, both of us kind of felt this sense of like calm as a result of doing that. And, um, that's what this program teaches me. To be, to be God-centered, to be of service to others. You know, the work that I do as a counselor, were I an atheist, had I not come into these rooms, um, had to, had I, if I didn't have these steps as a, as a guide for living, um, I would not be doing what I'm doing right now. I, I would be in the food. I would be in myself. I would be in that self-hatred, that pain, that resentment, that fear. I would be living in these fantasies of what I wanted and never getting them. Um, but it's only through this work, through coming back to God, to surrendering to God over and over again, that, that that's freed up so much of, of that pain. Um, that I'm able to now be available for other people, to be of service to other people. So I'm going to wrap up here in a minute, but I just want to, um, I just, yeah, just like, I just want to kind of reinforce my key message here, which is that the suffering that we experience as humans in recovery we can be grateful for it. It's supposed to be here because it's teaching us. Um, and I can be grateful for that suffering. You know, I do still catch myself 
in in these spaces of this shouldn't be happening. Why is this happening? I don't like this, right? Um, you know, my fiance owns owns a couple homes, and one of them just had a fire recently, and I, I found myself in this place of like, no, this should not be happening. This is not okay. Like this person shouldn't have been smoking a cigarette. You know, this is this is not okay. Like I I didn't want this to be reality. You know, and it, it took me a while. It took me like a day or so to like really surrender. I'm still surrendering this thing to God, you know, but I can be grateful for this suffering because it's teaching me, you know, I'm not, I'm not glad that the fire happened. I'm not glad that, you know, these things happen. Um, but I'm not fighting it. I don't have to fight it, you know, and, and initially my instinct because I'm human is to fight it. And I don't want to be critical of myself for doing that. Right. I can accept that and I can move through it and I and then I can be grateful for that moment of suffering because it's teaching me, you know, just like I can be grateful that I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, when I when I first came into the rooms and I heard people say, you know, I, hear, I, I still I hear people say I'm so grateful all the time. Right. A lot of people end their shares with, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And, I, and here I am doing it. Right. Um, I used to hear people say I'm grateful that I'm a compulsive eater. And I, you know, initially you know, coming into the rooms and working these steps, it was like, I don't want to be a compulsive eater. This is not okay. Like, why do I have to be one of these people? Like, I just want to eat like a normal person. This is not all right. Like, I was not in acceptance of it. Right? But now I can say, like, I'm so freaking grateful to be a compulsive overeater because if I weren't a compulsive overeater, I would not have found the solution. And if I didn't find the solution, I would not have the life that I have now. I would not have these principles for living. I would not have this framework, these beautiful steps for living. If I had not been born a compulsive overeater, I wouldn't be who I am today. I would be, I would be pretty freaking miserable. Um, so being a compulsive overeater has brought me to this work and, and I'm, I will take that over any alternative. Um, and in preparing for this talk, I, I kind of, I, last night I was, um, I had a prayer kind of come to me that I just wanted to share with everybody and then I'll wrap up with that. So, so, you know, this prayer is, God, thank you for this hardship because I know that you are teaching me how to be of service to you and to others through this suffering. I don't know your plan and I don't have to know it, but I trust in you, God. Trust in your will for me. Amen. With that, I will pass, and I um, look forward to hearing um, questions. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for such an inspiring message of hope that you offered us this morning and your charitable time. Um, so, we're, yeah, we're going to transition now if you have a question for Rachel. Uh, but let me first give the share ID for uh, the presentation this morning, and I'll, I'll give it again. Um, at the end. Um, that share ID number is 20,088. That's 20088. And so now we'll transition to the Q&A uh, portion. If you have a question for Rachel, uh, please unmute by pressing star 1 and give me your first name and last initial. Mary Lee R. and Eugene Oregon. Mary Lee. Thank you, Larry. Felicia, Felicia S. from New Jersey. Felicia. Thank you, Larry. Sure. Who else? Freya H. 
Freya. Penny from Michigan. I'm sorry, I say that you're in Michigan from Michigan? Penny, that starts with a P E N N Y. Oh, Penny? Okay. Yes. Got it. Thank you. Okay, anybody else? All right. Well, we got first uh, first round here. We have Mary Lee, uh, Felicia, Freya, and Penny. Mary Lee, um, good morning. Good morning, Larry, and all my podmates on this line. This is Mary Lee R. in Eugene, Oregon, in recovery just for today. Um, 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 um. <laughs> you talked. You just you covered so many things and gave such a beautiful example of how recovery can can benefit. And my question is about character defects. I'm currently doing step six and seven, and I have they changed? Have they gone away? How how do you um, how do you how do you work with a character defect as it comes up and and what's your process? Thank you. I hope that's clear. Sure. Thank you so much, um, Mary Lee, for the question. Um, yeah, sub six and seven. So I, this is just me. I believe that character defects don't ever go away. You know, I know it says, you know, um, in step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character and step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Um, I'm open to to a shift on this, but I, I don't think that they ever really go away. I think that they're always going to be there in some sense. Um, you know, I think that they can shift. I think that they can shift to I don't. I don't love the concept of you know replacing defects with assets, but I think that they can, they can, you know, rebalance. They can. We can put them. God can put them in their place. Um, so, for example, like my one of my most prevalent defects that that comes up when I do my step work is validation seeking. You know, seeking validation from other people and using other people to like approve of me so that I'm okay. And you know, that defect is there for a reason. It, it's there because because of that instinct of belonging, right? I want to belong. I want to be part of. I don't want to be alone. You know, fear of, fear of being alone is my biggest fear, usually, that comes up in my work. And, um, you know, it, it's there for, for a pure reason, I believe. You know, I think it's, it's there, you know, to, to try to help me, to support me, right? But, but when it becomes grossly imbalanced is when it causes problems for me. So I think, I think it's important, you know, with the step work to, to really understand ourselves and to be able to notice when these things come up and, and my experience and, and my expectation, my hope based on the work I have done is that with more time and effort in working these steps, I'm, I, I'm able to see these things a bit sooner than I have, you know, with, with more time under my belt and more, more concerted work of the steps that I can, I can start to notice them earlier. I start to kind of see those red flags a bit earlier 
and I can course correct sooner, you know, turn these things over, surrender these things over to God. So that's really where, you know, the, the step work comes in. So, you know, step 10, you know, doing a 10 step, um, when something's distressing me, you know, because obviously my defects are involved in that, right? And, and step 11, prayer and meditation, right? Sitting with God, turning, surrendering these things over to God. Um, and, to, you know, talking, like outing myself, talking to other people about these things, you know, with a 10 step or, you know, and or outreach, things like that. I hope that's helpful. Thanks for the question, Mary Lee. Okay, next up we have Felicia, followed by Freya. Felicia, good morning. Hi, good morning, everyone. I'm Felicia, a recovering compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Thank you, everybody, for their service at this meeting. And Rachel, thank you so much for your message. My question is, you talked a lot about God inspiration. And in the 10-step promises, they talk about understanding intuitive thought but before you got to the 10 step and as you were starting this journey how did you start to delineate between god inspiration and god intuition and your own will thank Mm -hmm. you Mm, thank you that's a really good question felicia um yeah for me you know early in my recovery i would you know, I talked about this in my previous special edition. Um, I would not use the word God at all because I was so turned off and resistant to it. But what really worked for me is that I used the word trust. So I would sit in prayer and meditation and just like tears would like, there were so many tears the first several months um, because I was so scared. I was, I was so ashamed, you know, I was so disconnected from myself. I had no sense of intuition. Um, but I would just sit and I would cry and I would just say, I trust, I trust, I trust, you know, and, and I really felt that I was able to trust in something that I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't me. Um, and then as I continued in the steps and continued, you know, doing prayer and meditation and talking to people, you know, that, that's a really big thing for me too, in terms of how to connect with higher power and, and my intuition is to to talk to other people, especially people in recovery. Um, you know, people are God with, with skin on, I've heard, and that resonates with me. Um, it helps me get outside of myself and my own little um, schemes and, and fears and whatnot um, to, like, out myself to somebody else and to, to hear somebody else's perspective. And I think we get to God together, but... It's, and it, it's easier to get to God together than it is alone, I think. So, yeah, a combination of, like, prayer and meditation and being with others, being vulnerable with others helped kind of attune me to that sense of intuition. And I can't remember exactly when I started to experience this. It may have been, you know, around step. No, you know what? I know what it was. Um, when I did my, my first seventh step, um, my sponsor told me, get on your knees and say the seventh step prayer and ask God to remove these defects. And I did not want to get down on my knees at all because for me, that was associated with, you know, religion. And I was 
very turned off by that. But I did because I was like so desperate and willing to do whatever I was told. So I did. And I felt this like overwhelming sense of like gratitude wash over me. For me, that was kind of a spiritual experience. And, um, you know, and, and around that time when I would sit in prayer and meditation, I would just kind of have these like intuitive thoughts come up, this kind of compassionate, gentle, loving, you know, voice. Not quite a discernible voice, but just this subtle kind of voice of thinking that didn't feel like my, it didn't feel like my normal thinking, you know, my, my, my fear-centered thinking. It was more of an evil thinking. And that has become stronger and attuned for me, you know, that, that as I continue to pray and meditate, I, I have that intuitive, compassionate thinking and when I have those kinds of intuitive thoughts come up it's like I just know I just know like this is right um, and for me that's that's the intuition okay, okay next up we have a question from Freya followed by Penny Freya good morning good morning this is Freya H in Colorado thank you so much Rachel awesome awesome topic and really wonderful, insightful presentation. And um, I have several thoughts, so I'll try to formulate a clear question. Um, in my experience with perfectionism, I find that it's a, you know, a chronic thing for me. And I finally had to ask, you know, why do I keep going back to it? It must be doing something for me. And, and came to this realization that I'm, I am getting something out of it. You know, I'm kind of like there's some there's some level of addiction to their perfectionism. Like it's 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 somehow serving me to be um, constantly in that place. So um, so that's part of my question is do you have can you comment on that? You know, like like why is for those of us who feel like they we are very much in the grips of perfectionism, is there? Um, is there some level of attachment to it that makes it especially hard to let go? I hope that makes sense. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Freya, for the questions. Good to hear you. Um, perfectionism is my right-hand woman. Um, I've done some work, some therapeutic work that I can share more with you about one-on-one -on -one if you're interested. And I've, I've recently become come to understand more about my perfectionism as a defect and um, yeah it's I think we're just with any defect like or part if you will you know which perfectionism is like one of my most vocal ones um, it's there for a reason right it serves a purpose it was there it, it formed and is there to try to protect me um, so I just really try to seek to have compassion for that and not necessarily like sit with it now. Why is this here? This shouldn't be here. You know, I don't like this. Like, I don't want to be hard or down on myself for having those perfectionist tendencies or for having that defect, but I can like seek to understand it and like give it permission to be there. Right. And then with, and giving that permission and acceptance and sitting with that, allowing it to exist, rather than trying to push it away, then I can like gently kind of work with it and like, you know, 
seek to seek to understand it and then like and like bring God into that and help me to kind of ease up with that and I can kind of like work with that perfectionist part to come to God together versus like fighting it and pushing it away that makes sense thanks for the question Freya okay Penny it's your turn good morning Penny Hi, I'm new to this group. Um, I'm not new to OA. Um, I was in OA um, about 23 years ago. I was on a group called The Coffee Shop, and I was looking for that group. I heard there's no more coffee shop. So um, somebody told me that uh, Victory, well, I, I didn't forgot the name of the whole title or the group, but years ago it was a guy named Andre that was doing The Coffee Shop. And so Andy, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Um, do you, so this is a Q&A portion of it. Do you have a question you'd like to pose to Rachel? Oh, no, I don't. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we stick sorry. to the Q&A format. No, that's okay. Oh. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we stick to a Q&A format with the special editions, but we, we appreciate oh, you I'm being sorry. here. Yeah, well, no I'm worries at all. My, I'm going to leave my number. Is that okay to do that now or no? Cause I'm you know what, we... Yeah, no, we leave numbers on our yeah, we leave numbers uh on the second hour of our Monday through Friday uh, meeting. Okay. So if you could join us again then we'd we'd love to get your number. Absolutely. Okay. Well thank okay, you. Thanks, I Bye bye. Yeah, thanks so much. Okay. If there's any anyone else that uh that has a question like to post to Rachel, um press star one to unmute. Give me your first name. Loretta A. Loretta Ruvain. Lisa, and there's a gentleman. Who is a gentleman? Ruvain. Um, spell that for him. R-E-U. 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 V is in Victor, E-N. E-N. Okay, Ruvain. Thank you so much, Ruvain. Appreciate it. Anybody else? Gotcha. Maura Z. Hey, Maura. Okay, so we have uh, Loretta, Lisa, Ruvain, and Maura. Let's start with Loretta. Good morning, Loretta. Good morning, Larry, and good morning, all. Rachel, I love your connection, correction. Oh, my God. But how and what is your meditation and prayer practice like? Because I know that's where a lot of the connection uh, is received and revealed. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for the question, Loretta. Um, for, just for me, it's really important to give myself permission, again, not to be perfect. You know, ideally, I want to be sitting in meditation for like 20 to 30 minutes every morning, but that doesn't really happen. It's just not going to happen. So um, what, I, what I do these days is I, um, you know, I wake up, I sit on my meditation cushion, and I pull up a, you know, guided meditation for 5, 10, 15 minutes, depending on how much time I have. And, um, you know, and then I pray after I complete that meditation and I read the unawakening paragraph and just start my day with God. And, um, you know, then throughout the day, when disturbed, you know, or regardless, I, I come back to God, you know, 
God, they will not mind be done. They will not mind be done. And I'll be honest, I often, I often forget, you know, I, I, I get into self because my, my days are so fast paced at work and I, I do get into self, you know, and then I, you know, I, when I, when I suffer, I come back to God. I'm like, okay, God, I need you. I need you. Um, and then at night I do my 11 step review and I do some deep breathing and calling God and, um, you know, and then throughout the day as needed, I'll do a 10 step. And I just, I absolutely love the 10 step practice as a way of, of coming back to God. You know, whenever I'm disturbed by something, when I'm restless, irritable, or discontent, when I'm, when something's taken up a lot of space in my head, that's really an indication that, okay, I need to do a 10 step about this. And it's such it's just a remarkable practice because it, it brings me back to God. And I, I get, I get so much, like so much a sense of ease when I do a 10 step and like get outside of myself when I do that. And part of that 10 step practice of course is to be of service to someone else. So, you know, usually after, after work is my time that I'll um, make a call to a sponsee or, you know, put myself out for service um, to, to do 10 steps or I'll do a 10 step. I'll make an outreach call to a newcomer and, um, you know, connecting with others, as I talked about earlier, is like one of, for me, one of the best ways to, to fast track into connecting with God, get outside of myself and, and be with God. That's what my practice looks like right now. Thanks for the question, Loretta. Okay, next up, we have Lisa, followed by Ruben. Lisa, good morning. Good morning. Rachel, thank you so much. It was really, really great to hear you. Um, my question is, because <clears throat> I just want to get your perspective on it, because I think you'd have a good one. We are human. I think I'm a perfectionist as well. How can we call it we have character defects if they're just a part of us being human and not as a way to, like, you know, maybe I'm using it wrong to beat up on myself about them, but how do you, how do you conceptualize, I guess, character defects if we're always going to be human and we're not going to be perfect? How do you, how do you think about that? Thank you. Yeah, good question, Lisa. Yeah, um, personally, I don't like the term character defects. I like to, I like to call them coping mechanisms. That's the terminology that like resonates more so with me, you know, because these things are here for a reason. They formed for a reason, for you know, to to help us survive. So, yeah, just for me, um, coping mechanisms is is more like a um, phrase that just resonates more. I hope that helps. Thanks, Lisa, for the question. Okay, next up we have Ruben, followed by Mora. Ruben, good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, thanks, everybody, for your service, and thanks, Lisa, for a wonderful qualification. Um, you somewhat or pretty much answered my question as you were going along. Uh, um, I just maybe perhaps want a little more detail. Um, in terms of balancing during your day, um, doing the 10 steps, uh, protocol, um, and uh, can you give an example of, you know, of your kind of like breaking and saying, okay, have I been selfish, have I been fearful, have I been resentful, et cetera, and then done like the six to seven uh, steps that we do in the 10 step. Um, uh, I found that I'm working on that and balancing that with uh, being retired, I have it a lot easier than you. Um, uh, but what's, what's that like for you, if you have any more specific, detailed examples? 
sure. So just so I understand, Ravain, your question is you, you want to hear more in depth about how I do a 10 step. Is that right? Say that again. I'm sorry. So just to clarify, it sounds like your question is do you want to hear specifically how I do a 10 step. Is that right? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, good question. So, uh, you know, I, I follow what it says in the big book, right? So, um, you know, when I'm when I'm disturbed by something, when I'm restless or irritable or discontent, I, um, you know, it, it's either going to be a resentment or a fear. So I identify, you know, what is the resentment? So um, usually what I'll do, like sometimes I'll write it out ahead of time, but and that's what I did at first when I started to do the sunset practice, but now I, I don't really do that. I, I don't write it out often. I will more so just like make a call to somebody on my God squad or somebody on, on the, um, the group that I'm a part of um, where we can do 10 steps together. And so I'll call somebody and I'll, I'll say, you know, this is my resentment. Right. And, and this is where I'm selfish. This is where I'm um, dishonest. And this is where I'm afraid. And then I um, so identify, you know, each of those categories. And if I had done a harm, if I owe an amends, then I'll identify, you know, this is the amends I need to make. And then, you know, the behavior change I need to make, the corrective measure. Um, more often than not, I find that I haven't done a harm. It's more so like more so in my thought life, in my behavior um, when I do the 10 step. Um, and then I will pray about it. So I will use the, I often use the big book prayers, you know, what, wherever appropriate, depending on the situation. So maybe the serenity prayer, the, the sick man's prayer, the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, um, you know, whatever feels appropriate, multiple ones that feel appropriate for me. And then I'll usually conclude with, you know, the fear prayer, you know, God, which is so simple. God, please remove my fear and direct me to whom you would have me be. And then I kind of, whatever comes to me intuitively, you know, I'll kind of share with the person that I'm talking with um, because I, I'll usually get guidance from my higher power when I sit and, and pray. And um, usually I find that like some compassionate kind of intuitive thought comes up that I'll share with that person and that will help guide me. Um, and then I'll ask, I usually ask for feedback from that person to share, you know, their perspective um, and, or their, and or their experience around this thing that I'm dealing with. And then um, I'll, turn my my, I'll turn my attention to someone else I can help. So whether it's that person I'm talking to, maybe they have a 10 step or um, if not, then I'll um, reach out to somebody else and make myself available to take a 10 step or to be of service in some way. So that's how I do the test. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, okay. And next up we have Maura. Hey Maura, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thanks so much for your service. Rachel, thank you for a very inspiring share this morning. I appreciate it. Um, my question has to do with sponsoring. I am newly recovered after a three year relapse and I'm um hopefully going to start sponsoring soon. And I'd just like to know what your process is. Um, you don't have to go into detail, but just um, how do you start with someone and, and what particular path do you take when you sponsor? Thank you so much. 
Yeah, sure. Thanks for the question, Mara. Um, yeah, I'll just, it sounds like this doesn't apply to you, but I'll just say to you, I've sponsored a lot of people who were hesitant to sponsor because of that, of perfectionism, right? I've heard from so many people, you know, I don't feel ready. I'm not quote unquote recovered enough. You know, I'm, I, I'm not, I, I'm not smart enough and you know, whatever it is, whatever fear kind of holds them back. And I've, I've seen that lead to relapse for a lot of people because, you know, I'm a firm believer that I can't, I can't keep it if I don't give it away. So just plug in sponsoring for anybody who feels afraid is at that point where it's time to sponsor, but they're afraid, like do it. It's, it's vital. Um, so yeah, how I sponsor is, you know, I'll have somebody, um, you know, start reporting their food to me. I'll ask them to meet with their nutritionist, a professional, um, to talk about their food plan and, you know, I'll have them identify those foods that once they start, they can't stop. And then we'll go over those together and we'll identify the common ingredients there. Um, so we'll, we'll collaborate together to determine, you know, what their abstinence needs to be, you know, the foods that the ingredients that they need to abstain from. And, you know, and I'll have them, um, you know, start reading the book. So, you know, the first assignment is from the, the very beginning of the book through the doctor's opinion and to underline, highlight whatever, you know, they relate to, anything they have questions about. And then we'll um, have, you know, a phone call where we'll go over that work and talk about it. And we just go chapter by chapter. And um, sometimes we read together if that's something that they want to do and that, that can be useful for them. But other times we don't. Um, I think it, that just kind of depends on like how quickly this person needs to and wants to get through it. So um, I I always tell my sponsees that I work with too, like I'm a pretty hands-off sponsor. I don't micromanage people. I don't try to run the process for them. I don't require them to make a certain number of outreach calls or meetings or anything like that. Um, I encourage them to, you know, go to consistent meetings and to be making calls, but um, I really just follow the big book and um, yeah, I'm pretty hands off because that's how my sponsor sponsored me. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, the people I'm working with, you know, the sponsors I work with, like they need to own the process. They need to manage the process. I can't, and that's not for me to do, you know, because um, if they come to depend on me, you know, it, it's, it's, that's, they're, that's not, it's not rational, right? Um, I don't want them to depend on me. I want them to depend on God. I want them to cultivate a sense of, of self-responsibility and um, dependence on God, not on me necessarily. So, um, yeah, so I just, I sponsor the big book. That's how I do it. All right, thanks so much, Mara, for the question. And, um... I guess I'll, we just with a little bit of time left, if there's uh, if there's someone that has a question for Rachel, maybe one person. If not, we will uh, oh, just press that one. What was uh, first Sorry. name again? Carolyn. Carolyn, great. Why don't you go ahead, Carolyn? And Carolyn will be our last uh, person to ask a question. Go ahead, Carolyn. Okay. Um, I just want to know if you've got a, a, a really strong resentment or fear and you've done step 10 multiple sometimes on that one issue and I don't feel any release of the resentment or fear what do I do next I mean I, I think I go back to step four in that issue and work through it again but 
yeah, I can't seem to get past a couple of these issues. Thank you. Yeah, good question, Carolyn. Um, yeah, somebody's unmuted. Yeah, you can. There we go. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll share an example. Um, something that has really that I've really been struggling with. Um, uh, I want to have children like I want to have babies like yesterday, and my fiance wants to wait more like three to five years or something like that. And um, that's something that has just, I've just really, really struggled with. And, I, you know, I'll do a 10-step about it, and then I'll, I'll feel like, okay, I can, ha- I can manage this, and then it'll come up again for me. And um, it's just, it's a, it's a sticking point for me. Um, you know, it, there were several weeks and months that I was really struggling with it, and we had a couple of disagreements about it and tried to work through it together. And, you know, I, I was doing several 10 steps. Um, I, I'll tell you right now, it, it it doesn't feel like it's got me in its grips and I, I feel more easeful about it. But that's not to say like, you know, tomorrow or, you know, when, when my sister has her baby in a couple months, it won't kind of flare up again, um, you know? And so just like, yeah, I, I think you're on the right track, like doing continued 10 steps about it. Um, and then going back and doing like fourth step work, you know, four through nine about it. Um, but also if this is helpful, just like, just give it permission to be there. You know, it's not for me to decide when these things are going to, you know, resolve or what, you know, when, when I'm going to have more peace around these things, you know, that's if I have expectations, around that then that's coming from a place of self so it's just a matter of like surrendering to god over and over and over again and like you know when i notice myself you know caught up in 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 my defects or coping mechanisms and um you know suffering because of my uh ruminating harmful thoughts then i i know i need to course correct about it but if it's if it's something that's like coming back to me over and over again um, and it's not harming me necessarily, like it's an opportunity to come back to God and like, I don't have to make it go away right now. Like it's, it's just okay for it to be here as long as I'm like doing my due diligence to surrender it. So I hope that helps. Thanks for the question, uh, Carolyn. And Rachel, thank you so much. You just did a beautiful job this morning. We uh, we certainly appreciate.